Jim, it's Jack. I'm at the airport. I'm going to Tokyo and want to pay you the 500 I owe you. Catch you next year when I get back. Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we explore the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Poletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. We're going all the way back to season one for our oh, show yeah. today. Epi, which episode did you pick and why did you did you uh, propose it for our consideration? I picked episode 16 from season one, Counter Gambit. Um, and I chose this one because I've actually been thinking about this one. I think the whole time we've been, we've been doing this (laughs) podcast (laughs) and it's not because of anything like stand out about this particular episode. I I really enjoyed this episode and I, I hope you have too, but, um, the whole bit with the tape recorder and Mm. the safe just sticks in my head. And I think that every time I watch a Rockford files episode, I think, is this the one? (laughs) This one, I think, feels very much like a season one episode. And a lot of that is because there is a little more attention paid to, like, Rockford's, like, tradecraft as an investigator. Um, as yeah. I'm sure we'll, we'll go deep into this, uh, this whole bit with the tape recorder and the safe and everything, you know, seeing him use like gadgets and technology. And then also the whole plot is a, you know, is, is a con job plot. It's a counter gambit. It's a counter gambit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. This is one of those where I have some things in my notes where I'm like, is this? And then it is. And I don't yeah. know if it's because I've seen it before or I have the same thing. Yes. They're... It's telegraphed. <laughs> yeah. My other kind of overall thought on this one after watching it was that it's kind of the reverse of um, of something like uh, there's one in every port where we see Jim yeah. orchestrate a complicated uh, con. We're seeing a fairly intense con game, but only from Rockford's perspective as the uh, as the mark. He does, in the end, uh, turn the tables on. Right, yeah, he he flips it on them, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, definitely, this is is, uh, kind of in a classic noir fashion, right? Like, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of classic noir stories start with our private detective being hired to take the fall. Mm -hmm. Like, they're hired to do something, and that something that they're hired to do is just going to put them in a position where they can be the fall guy for whatever crime is about to be committed right which i i would say like i had the same thing like you were saying there were several notes where i'm like wait a minute <laughs> wait a minute and i you know again can't tell if it's because i'm remembering the full episode because i'm i'm not remembering the full episode i'm only remembering bits and pieces or if they're telegraphing things but one of the places where it did trip me up is that usually then the there's the femme fatale right like right. usually the woman is responsible for uh messing up the the detective getting the detective stuck in the most trouble and that is not the case here right and that's there's an interesting little wrinkle about that that I'll that I'm, I want to ask you but we'll we'll do that when we as we say get into it yes yeah this one uh as we said episode 16 is coming right after sleight of hand oh right which is one of our early one of our earliest episodes. Um, I'm fairly sure that these were not written in the same order that they are, or they were not produced in the same order that they were broadcast. Right. Right. So, yeah. I don't think there's a particular relationship between those two things, but I just bring it up because the sleight of hand episode is also a very noirish episode. Yeah. But more in a noir movie sense. Yeah. Um, and less in the kind of like 
I don't know, Sam Spade sense. And tonally, they're very different. Yeah, oh, definitely. It's kind of an interesting pairing of those two if you watch them on consecutive weeks, right? Uh, as yeah. the show is coming out. I think that would be an interesting experience. I, th- I think it's highly likely, uh, though I won't literally make the claim, <laughs> that, mm-hmm. but I think it's highly likely that uh, early on in a show like this, you would rely a little bit more on the sort of noir tropes. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, it's a 70s noir detective right once you find your footing then you start making the show the thing it is oh for sure yeah yeah this whole first season is also very much still in the direct uh kind of creative i don't know creative universe of roy huggins um before he left the show so there's a lot of stuff that is kind of looking that is looking similar to to other things that he's done in the past and like the old maverick scripts and stuff like that I would say, if I was going to make a meta-argument about the Rockford Files, I would say that it ends up blossoming as its own as its own kind of flavor more yeah. in the second and third seasons. I would agree with that. Perhaps that is an argument for another day. Um, this episode uh, was written by Howard Burke and Juanita Bartlett. Um, this is uh, Bartlett's first writing credit on the show. She had, oh. she had teleplay credits uh, on episodes before this. This is, I guess, the one of the first places where we have her direct hand in the story. Uh, Howard Burke, I found there's a, a couple couple little interesting things. Um, his only Rockford script, but he wrote two Columbos. Ah. One is uh, By Dawn's Early Light, which is the Military Academy one, uh, which is uh, uh, quite good, in my opinion. He also wrote the super weird IRA gun smuggling one that was later in the 70s that it's not one of my favorites, um, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, we're always looking for those crossovers. In his obituary, uh, he, he died in 2016, if I remember right. And oh, in oh. his obituary, it mentions that he was also a novelist. So I was like, oh, let's, let's find out something about his novels. The only one that I was able to track down in my, you know, quick internet sleuthing is a, uh, I think, 1974. Four maybe early 70s sci-fi novel called the sun grows cold ah. and i'm just going to read the, the the synopsis for it because it is pretty pretty good i'm intrigued already i knew that you would be into this is what i'm yeah. is why, <laughs> why i'm bringing it up all right the sun grows cold the time the near future the place america across the devastated landscape of what was the richest country on earth a man and woman are running for their lives. Their enemy, the government of the United States, which has become a monstrously powerful agent for the control of every human body and every human mind. Oh, I'm in. The sun grows cold. If anyone's read that book, let us know how it is. Yeah. Uh, and then the director is Jackie Cooper, uh, hey. who also directed In Hazard, uh, which we covered in our episode 31, uh, the one where Beth gets poisoned which is a great episode, and he has not yet appeared on our show, but he is, but he is in two episodes. Uh, yeah, there's no way he couldn't like <laughs> an actor uh, that that looks like him that was acting in that day and age oh, had yeah. to have been on an episode of The Rockford. And Files. one of the ones that he's in is one of the real uh, the real in your face social uh, social issue episodes, the one about yeah. uh, the surveillance. Oh yeah. Oh, we should do that one soon. We should. Speaking of Howard Burke's uh, <laughs> The Sun Grows Cold. The Sun Grows Cold. And, uh, of course, Jackie Cooper plays Perry White 
in the uh, Christopher Reeves Superman movies, right. which are wonderful. Speaking of things that are wonderful, yes, Epi, what stood out to you in the preview montage? This preview montage was jam-packed with wonderful lines. This episode has a really a very high quotable line per scene yeah. ratio. I was a little afraid that we got them all. Like, you know, you can <laughs> have movies where the whole movie's in the trailer and you're like, whatever. And I like seeing this many good lines in the montage. I was a little worried, but no, not at all. This is the exact same percentage of good lines <laughs> that there are. It's a representative sample. Yeah. So I wrote down several of them. Uh, my, I think my favorites here are, uh, the exchange between Rockford and, oh, Valerie. Is she Valerie at that time? Well, she's always Valerie. Okay, yeah. So Valerie. So uh, the exchange where uh, they're at a uh, life drawing class and they're drawing a nude. And she says, nudes can be very difficult. And he says, you know, to tell you the truth, this is the first one I've had trouble with. <laughs> and then gave a smile. And I thought to myself, how can you not just be instantly seduced by that? And as... <laughs> We'll see when we get to that moment. You you can't. Like, <laughs> that is all that took. Uh, there's Angel. When Rockford says, we'll split the reward money, Angel's like, you mean we'll split the sentence? <laughs> Which is great. Wonderful Angel moment. And then uh, a good gorilla line where he's like, he's got the best guarantee in the world. He don't want to die. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is an appropriate preview of uh, all the stuff we're going to see. Um, there's a lot of mention of like, percentages like in for a third in yeah. for half that kind of thing later on like there are several points where he's like well i'm gonna make money off of this i'm gonna make money off of that uh but he doesn't make money off of <laughs> this or that <laughs> i will say that also i hope you have your your calculator ready because this is a intensely yes a number heavy episode um so we'll be leaning on you to keep track of what all is going on with that 200 a day is supported by all of our listeners, but especially our patrons at patreon.com slash 200 a day. Patrons get to add to the 200 a day Rockford Files files, help us pick which episodes to cover, and more. Each episode, we extend a special thanks to our gumshoe level patrons. This time, we say thank you to Jim Crocker. In addition to supporting the show, he also sells our games at cons east of the Mississippi on behalf of Indie Press Revolution. Follow along on Twitter at IPR Tweets. Shane Liebling. If you play games online, you should check out his free dice rolling app, Roll For Your Party, at rollforyour.party. Mike Gillis, host of the Radio vs. the Martians podcast, the McLaughlin Group for Nerds. They remain at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. Kevin Lovecraft, part of the Wednesday Evening Podcast All-Stars Actual Play podcast, found at MisdirectedMark.com. Dylan Winslow, Dale Norwood, Bill Anderson, and Dave P., and finally, big thanks to Victor DeSanto and to Richard Haddam, who you can find on Twitter at Richard Haddam. Check out patreon.com slash 200 today and see if you want to be our newest gumshoe. Well, we start our episode with a shot of the Firebird, which is always a good sign. Yes. Jim is visiting an old, well, buddy is the wrong word. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Is visiting a person that he knows in prison, Moss Williams, who apparently put rockford in the prison hospital uh from a fight when they were in uh, in jail together but he's called rockford because he needs a favor so this is all this is a, a great establishment scene uh to show us this character moss and his relationship with jim which is uh confrontational at best 
yeah, I my notes for this scene are simply these looks. Yeah. <laughs> the, the glares and the yeah. But the favor that he wants is that he has this uh he has this girl on the outside who stopped responding to his letters and he wants to know where she is because he doesn't trust himself to go find her once he gets out because he's supposed to get out in a week. Uh, as he says himself, uh, he has a pretty, pretty violent temper and he doesn't trust himself if he finds out that she's going out with another man or whatever. So he will pay Jim's $200 a day plus expenses to find his, uh, his girl, uh, Maria and, uh, let him know what's going on. Jim's response to this is there's like a phone book full of PIs you never tried to kill, right? Like (laughs) why, why are you, uh, hiring me? It's either immense self-awareness or clearly a trap. Right. Yeah. And like his response to that is that he doesn't like Jim, but he trusts him because Jim was also a con and he knows what it's like. Yeah. But we know we know what this show is like. We know there's probably something more going on. But Jim ends this by basically saying, no, he doesn't want to do it. Setting up the first part of the classic, Jim refuses to do work uh, before he agrees to do work dynamic. We go to his trailer. He's on the phone with a dentist about uh, an outstanding bill. So we get a good, strong look at Jim needing money. Yes, it's another important beat in the Jim refuses work uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) formula where he's like, he's refusing work, but he certainly needs the work. Uh, There is a knock on his door, and it is a man who uh, introduces himself as Daniel Kramer, and he says that he is Moss's attorney. He's there on behalf of Moss to get Jim to agree to find this this woman, Maria. The knock on the door. I have this moment where I was like, there's a chain on the door. Jim, like that's brilliant. (laughs) Why aren't you doing that all the time? We find out why. Yeah, we find out why. Dear listeners. There's a great bit of uh, physical storytelling where where the lawyer, like, glances down at the chair, like, hey, can I sit? And Jim just shakes his head, like, no, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're not sitting. Then he shows Jim the picture of Maria, and it's this very beautiful woman. Yeah. And we see Jim kind of do the, like, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> now we know that he is going to get into this. And then he nods at the chair to let Kramer to sit down. That little physical beat of seeing Jim give in to the inevitable without any words exchanged was something I appreciated. And there, there were some good words exchanged, though. I, I do like the, uh, uh, oh, I can't remember the lead up to this. The, the lawyer says something like, like, I know you're hesitating or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you may be hesitant or whatever. And Jim's like, I'm not hesitating. You could tell Mr. Williams to stuff it. Yeah. No, no, no. How many times do I have to say no? But at the end of the day... Uh, Kramer has a $500 cashier's check ready to give to Jim to start this assignment. And Jim talks himself into it by making sure that he's only going to talk to Kramer. He doesn't have to interact with Moss directly on that contingency. He'll, he'll do it. And so we get a, a joke in the cut here where we end that scene with, uh, the lawyer saying, will you accept the assignment? And then we cut to Jim in costume with the square glasses and the big yes. um, plaid like like sample bag finding a uh, particular motel door. And obviously he has taken the assignment and is now on the case. So uh, Jim's at this motel. He knocks on a door. He claims that he is from the Rothschild Beauty Foundation and uh, he's trying to 
find new salespeople in the area and he wants to talk to the little woman. Yes. The man who answers the door has, has little truck with him, does not really want to talk to him, keeps him from coming in. We can hear that the shower's running um, in the apartment. And so Jim's asking like, oh, is, is, is that the little woman? <laughs> I'd like to talk to her and stuff. And the guy's like, we're not interested. Get out of my doorway. Um, then we hear a woman's voice saying that she needs a towel. So the guy goes to uh, get her a towel, presumably. Jim takes a step in, sees the same framed picture of this woman, Maria, on the like little side table. I imagine that this is the whole goal of this con was just to get in and yeah. see if this is what he's who he's looking for. Um, the the guy comes back and basically kicks him out, not letting him, even though it's a great opportunity for sales, uh, does not let him linger in the apartment any longer. So this is actually the most confusing scene in retrospect. Yeah, nobody's behaving how you expect humans to behave in this situation. <laughs> and at the time, that's fine because that's, you know, you're sitting there trying to figure out what the mystery is. So right. People behaving odd just means that there's a mystery there. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong. But like, yeah, I agree with you. By the time you get done with this, it doesn't quite make sense the way they behave. Uh, I don't I like in my notes. I'm like, why doesn't he close the door on Jim? Yeah, he just leaves the door open. Jim, so Jim, you know, is able to just come in. Um, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll loop back and talk about this scene because yeah, it's like yeah. there's nothing wrong with it. But it is one of those. There's there's an implication about the con game that gets run on Jim that means that it's actually very uh, deep. Yeah. And this is part of that in a way that doesn't really seem appropriate for what the potential gain is. I don't know. We'll, yeah. we'll see. Stay tuned. We'll talk about that later because <laughs> this is one where I think it's it'll make more sense once we go through what happens later in the episode um, because things immediately heat up. Uh, in the next scene is the loud knocking on Jim's trailer door, waking him <laughs> from a sound sleep. His friend Moss Williams busts open the door, breaking the chain off. <laughs> Clearly of no use. Possibly the final time we see the chain in the Rockford Files entire series. <laughs> he busts in, he has a gun, he's waving it around, he's 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 angry and he's yelling at Jim. He's like saying, what do you think, I'm stupid? And right. Jim responds with, yeah, Moss, I think you're stupid. Um, and he's saying, hey, I was only going to deal with the lawyer. And Moss says, I don't care. I want you to take me to her. Take me to her right now. So I guess we have now gone forward that week in the timeline. And Moss has gotten out and knows mm -hmm. that Jim has found the woman that he wanted her to find, apparently. They go back to the motel. Uh, there's a bunch of kind of banter where Jim is trying to keep Moss from going up there with a gun in his hand, right? Yeah, he points out that it's a parole violation. Mm, indeed. Because Moss is the kind of guy who's going to worry about that. Right. Moss says that he's he just wants to talk to her, has him drive around back, and then we see uh, the guy who was in the apartment earlier uh, that wouldn't let Jim in, but did let Jim in, yeah. in a bathrobe, taking the trash out. Moss runs up to him with the gun and starts yelling at him, starts slapping him around. His name is Harry. Yelling at Harry, asking what what he thinks he's doing, and Harry's like, "No, you got it all wrong, Moss. You got it all wrong." It's a very chaotic scene, but Harry manages to get Moss to stop hitting him, and they go off into a corner to talk while Rockford waits in the car because he, he's begging him. I'm begging you, not in front of him. Yeah, uh, which is another weird moment. But go on. 
we hear, thus implying that Jim hears them say that uh, he woke, that Harry woke up this morning and she was gone. He doesn't know where she went. Back in the car, Moss is uh, back with Jim and says that he paid Jim $700 so far and that uh, he'll give him another 500 to to track down Maria now that she's pieced yep. out. And Jim says that he thinks that this isn't about her. This is about something that she must have taken with her. There's something going on that clearly is of more value uh, in some monetary sense here. Because Moss just keeps on throwing money at him, right? And it yeah. seems a little weird. Uh, there's a good line in here somewhere where I think Moss starts threatening him again. And Jim says, get out of my tree. So get out of my tree, pal, and stay out. So Jim's using his powers of deduction to figure out that there's something else going on. Um, so all these early scenes are like really quick. Yeah. They're, they're moving by really snappy and I'm just watching, you know, just watching, taking notes and I'm like, oh, okay. So there's, there's the weird thing. Like Jim has now found like, oh, so here's our mystery. There's right. a thing that she has and maybe the three of them were in on some deal or maybe she stole it from them and you know, we'll see where this goes. That's kind of where I was thinking the story was at this point. Yeah, those were the assumptions that I was like, again, like, I don't, I, I didn't remember the details of the episode. So I just assumed that she was holding money from them from beforehand or, uh, yeah, exactly. Like, my assumption was it was ill-gotten mm-hmm. and they're they're hiring Jim to get it back. But they don't want to tell him what it is, obviously, because if it's right. valuable, then Jim's going to want a, yeah. a cut or whatever. Okay, so uh, our, our next scene here, back in the trailer, Jim is making himself an omelet. Yay! Yay! <laughs> There's another knock at the door. It's someone who is not suing, selling, or collecting. He just wants to talk to Jim. Uh, this man, his name is Edward Birch. He says that he is from an insurance company. That Moss and Harry stole a pearl necklace before they went to jail, but they went to jail on an unrelated charge. So this pearl necklace is still outstanding somewhere. And that his insurance company has a incentive program. Even though they've already paid out the insurance claim, they'll still pay a reward for someone to find the thing. Because uh, the incentives are to keep people looking for these right. lost, lost and stolen goods. Now this is starting to sound exactly like the kind of case that Rockford would take, right? Like mm-hmm. this is something involving recovering something for insurance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's already a cold case somewhere else. Three years is what he says. You could, you could see the gears cranking in his head where he like this is candy for Rockford. This Mm -hmm. is the kind of case that, uh, and I don't know if this is what they were doing at the time when they shot this, but like (laughs) if you watch all of the Rockford files, you'll find that he likes to know these sorts of details. He'd like, he likes recovery fees and things Mm -hmm. like that. It's kind of implied over time that that's really his bread and butter are these kind of like lower stakes, recovery fees and stuff like that. Though this one is actually pretty high stakes. One thing I liked about this scene was that uh, it starts off with Birch trying to be kind of like a tough guy. Yeah. I've been following you and you've been associating with Moss and, yeah. you know, associating with the new fe- with a known felon like that. That's a parole violation. And Jim's like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this guy doesn't, knows that Jim was an ex-con, but doesn't know that he got right. a pardon. And so Jim throws that back at him. I wrote down parole violation. He's not a, a oh, yeah. 
because <laughs> Jim corrects him by the before I can even finish my note about wait a minute that doesn't make any sense so I think that's like that was an effective way to be like here's this person who's done some homework but yeah. doesn't actually know what he's getting himself into with Jim but uh they go to the insurance company's office to talk to Mr. Cutter they say it is a $250,000 claim on this necklace and so there's going to be a 25% recovery fee. Mr. Cutter wants to know why Birch is cutting in Rockford if he knows that Moss and Harry have the necklace. And Moss's explanation is that, well, they'll run if they see him because they know that they know yeah. him from the earlier, you know, trying to get the claim or whatever. And since Moss already wants Jim to find Maria, he's the one taking all the risk. And it's worth a third yes. to Birch, which... Rockford quickly bargains uh, up to 50%. There's something interesting about this scene. So this is one of the first moments where I really was like, Rockford walking into this office, is this a con? There's something about the setup where he goes into this office and it's like, it looks like it's a front. Yeah, people are too busy, maybe. Like, yeah. there's something about it that feels... I, I'm wondering about the subtleties going on here because, like, there's also this lovely bit about um, Birch where he comes into the office and all of the respect for Birch drops, right? Mm -hmm. he, when he goes into talk to Rockford, he's throwing his weight around until Rockford can tell him that he doesn't, you know, like, I'm not a con. I, you know, I, mm -hmm. I'm not on parole. I, I, I was exonerated. But uh, when he comes into this office, it's this immediate status drop. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone treats him like he's like just a low level employee or whatever, which is smart for the con, right? Right. It puts Rockford in a spot where he feels like he's he he understands why this guy seems to have some kind of desperation and needs help. Twenty five percent of this claim is a lot of money for yeah some some goober in the low level insurance industry and then they get in and like even this the president uh or whatever mm -hmm. his boss yeah set is like again treats him like what what you know i don't have time for this but then knows everything about it yeah i didn't really understand what you said on the phone can you yeah go over yeah. this again yeah no it felt really con to me and to the point where i was like Open one of those drawers. Just yeah. open like a filing cabinet drawer just to see if there are files in there, Rockford. And that's all you... This is the point where I was like, I think this is a front. But I don't know if I only think that because I've seen this before and that's... I'm remembering... No, that's exactly it. That yeah. it's the front or if there's something about the dynamic of all the... Because it's like... There's like phone calls and there's like multiple secretaries and... Yeah. Like you, yeah, like you said, it seems like there's too much busyness. And it's all jammed together into one. There's like a little hallway and then the main office and stuff like that. If it was supposed to subtly tip you off that it might be a, a, a front, then it was very well staged. Yeah. There is a, a conspiracy to uh, fool Jim that he is now getting drawn into. But he does uh, say that he'll, you know, he'll do this for 50% of this recovery fee. In writing. You bet in writing. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what does that work out to? What is he looking at right now? So he's looking at uh, $30,000, which, oof, people. <laughs> that should have been the other tip-off. Because uh, like our a rule of thumb here is we multiply it by five. But let me just do the actual math here. That's 50% of the 25% recovery yes. of the $250,000 yes. value. Nineteen seventy-five. Yeah, 31250 
That's one hundred forty-six thousand dollars in okay. in modern monies. I mean, that's a pretty serious amount for Jim. It is, and it's uh, uh, should have been the hugest of tip-offs. Yeah, because a lot of the time it's like five percent, right? Yeah, like is the yeah. kind of recovery fees are like five, ten. It's a good point. Uh, but Jim agrees to do this in writing. He goes back to Harry's apartment. He wants to see Moss, who is there, of course. And he says that he's back in. He has a loan shark that's coming on to him strong. And he'd rather uh, help these guys find this woman than uh, get his fingers broken by this loan shark. I like to think that the loan shark is also his dentist that he just <laughs> spoke to on the phone earlier. I'll fix your teeth, but I'll break every bone in your right hand. Yeah. <laughs> We have a uh, an argument between Harry and Moss about letting him back in or not, which Moss wins, mm-hmm. saying, we don't argue because when we argue with me, we lose our teeth. And I have a note, I forget exactly how this goes down. I have a note that they, that, that Jim is going to get a third of the necklace or like he's, yeah, he'll yeah. come back in and do it, but for a split with the other two guys. I think this is why this made you think of the other episode because there, the, yeah, there are all these moments where. Jim right now is running a con on them. Right. But they're running a con on Jim, right? right? Like, he's running a con on them at their behest. They actually do know why he's there. Yeah, yes, exactly. And uh, at this point, I don't, as a viewer, first-time viewer, I don't know this, but I might have my suspicions. Mm-hmm. As a return viewer who vaguely recalls the episode, <laughs> uh, I don't know this, but I am... Super confident <laughs> that this is what's happening. Um, there's money that Jim is expecting to get, and there's money that Jim isn't expecting to get, and he's making deals left and right over For it. For both of them, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's stressing me out as his bookkeeper. <laughs> All right, well, they agree to bring Jim back in. They, they've actually tracked her down. That's the other part, is, is Ma says, well, he found her, but she's going to rabbit if they show up. Right. right. So they need someone that she doesn't know to to find out if she still has the necklace and where it is and all that stuff. Um, so that's like the usefulness of Jim to them at this point, which makes sense. Uh, but she has kind of changed identity. She now calls herself Valerie Thomas. She drinks scotch with water and uh, takes art courses. And we get this voiceover of this description of her now like kind of higher class kind of lifestyle into the life drawing course uh, yes. That we saw from the preview montage, which uh, which I think you you already pretty much encapsulated what happens in the scene. There's something that's going to start happening here uh, with Valerie, mm-hmm. and I want to talk about it because uh, Valerie might be the single horniest character <laughs> in all of the Rockford Files. That is possibly true. There, I mean, like we've had some moments. We've had some moments where there's uh, very frank moments between him and women that have been like oh we're gonna we're gonna have sex right now but Mm -hmm. uh we're not gonna tell the audience exactly that's what's happening but you know um i there was an episode no it wasn't him sorry i i get him confused with lance white from time to time there was a (laughs) woman that lance white was involved in that uh uh, oh right yeah 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 you know i did not remember this from this episode at all. Mm-hmm. But as we watch this episode, if we watch what unfolds, we first meet her at this life drawing class where they're drawing a nude, uh, uh, presumably a nude woman. Mm-hmm. Rockford keeps looking back and over the left to her painting or her drawing mm. uh, until she finally says something to him. 
What's the matter? Uh, maybe you can tell me. What's wrong with that? Let me see. Everything. Oh, don't worry. Nudes are very difficult. I'll tell you the truth, uh, that's the first one I've ever had trouble with. Smiles, and that's it. Yeah, she smiles, and it just cuts to them having drinks at a bar. Or like, like, a, rest, like a nice restaurant. Yeah, a Rockford restaurant. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Right now, we don't have the full... Like all of her thirst right now. All right. we know is that, the, like, it just took that line. But it's so clear that he was there to hit on her, right? Like, right. Well, that was his. That was his in, right? Like, he's like, this is how yeah. I will get to talking to this person. So, yeah. So Valerie Thomas, uh, she is played by uh, Mary Fran, who um, was in a, a later Rockford Files episode, but also was in days of our lives in the late seventies. So any classic days of our lives viewers, uh, her character was Amanda Howard. And that is all I know. Uh, she was also in one incredible Hulk episode. Oh, which one? Uh, stop the presses. Oh, oh that's a good episode. That's a good <laughs> episode. Her character's name is Karen Weiss. Uh, Oh, I bet you she was. Okay. I know who she was in that episode. Uh, <laughs> It, it, listen to my Incredible Hulk uh, podcast, The Lonely Man podcast, <laughs> to get more details on Stop the Presses. Very good. So, uh, yeah, as you say, she is real thirsty. And we see yeah. that. And that's not just a reading, like, interpretation. We get more text of this. Yeah, no. I'm shocked that I don't remember the text <laughs> that we do get. So. So uh, just at the at this restaurant um, where she orders her scotch water, no ice, and that's how yes. Jim drinks it as well. And then talks about how the last time he was in London. And so clearly he's he's using all her biographical facts to establish yeah. commonality. And it appears to work as we cut back to uh, Moss counting bills into Jim's hand <laughs> and asking how much longer this is going to take. He, you know, and he's saying like, well, you know, he can't push any harder because she'll figure out there's something wrong. Clearly, he's getting money to continue entertaining her in this this lifestyle. Right. Moss makes some comment about it, and he has one of my favorite lines in, the, in yes. this episode. I can't buy her a hot dog. She's not that kind of lady. <laughs> this is great. So uh, I didn't record the exact value of the money that was exchanged here, uh, mm -hmm. but I, I do want to comment on it because... If nothing else, what Rockford got out of this were a whole bunch of expensive, lovely dates. Right. In this, yeah. right? Like this is <laughs> whatever falls out of any of this after this point, at least he got that for free. So their next date uh, is uh, he's picking her up at her apartment. So we go into her apartment for the first time and it's all white and very <laughs> kind of high class. My note here is just more flirting and kissy face. Um, she apparently is super into him. Yeah. Uh, I forget if we hear here or later, but he's, his, his alias here is Charlie. Um, and he's some kind of bank person is this role that he's in. And he actually has, uh, a box with security deposits in it that a client dropped off with him too late for him to put in the bank because the bank closes. He asks if there's somewhere safe, like, oh, this building must have a vault. It's a secure building or whatever. And she, of course, says... Oh, don't don't bother. Just put it in my safe. Yes. 
So he uh, agrees to do that, puts this box in her safe, and says that he will pick it up in the morning. Which is an incredibly important line. Because, (laughs) (laughs) again, I don't think he's saying that he's going to swing by in the morning to pick it up. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But on saying that he'll pick it up in the morning, we cut to him opening the box back at his trailer, presumably the next day, and taking out these... uh, pieces of paper and underneath them is this audio recorder so this is a fun scene because it's like ooh, we get to see jim doing fun pi stuff yeah but it's kind of funny because he he's doing stuff that we're just seeing on the screen and i'm like okay i think i see the logic of this but then rocky comes over and jim explains to rocky what he's doing yes. so that we will know what that all is like it's it's not that it's not trusting the audience i think i think it is telling the story and then just making it very clear because otherwise this would make no sense watching it you get the gist of what's going on but yeah. you don't if you think about it while just watching it without his explanation right, right? like if you so, think about it right so just watching it what we see is that he he takes this recorder out and then he fast forwards past the part where you can hear the two of them talking which is the dialogue yeah. that we just heard and then you hear these little clicking noises and then you see him uh, making notes, making notes of numbers on his little notepad. And it's uh, montaged. It's fading into itself so that we get the impression that this yeah. is taking a long time. It's taking all day. So that's what we see. And then Rocky comes in. Yeah. And so with just what we see, you think, oh, he's probably counting the clicks or something like that to mm-hmm. find out what the combination. And in fact, he ends up writing a combination down on a very clearly a combination yeah. down on a piece of paper uh but i had this moment where i'm like wait do do locks work like that like <laughs> this seems... can you just count them is that really how it works like how do you know where the dial started mm-hmm. you know like i'm thinking about the combination lock on my gym locker right mm-hmm. uh humble brag i go to the gym yeah. <laughs> it's something i do um like I don't, I don't start at zero and then go to the first number. I mm. start somewhere. It was fun to watch him figure it out. It's fun to watch him do sort of the boring, labor-intensive work mm. that that he's probably doing all the time while we're not watching him. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> but um, then we do need something to put our minds at ease about whether or not it will work. And what's interesting is that he's also presenting it as an idea that he's had. It's yeah. not. It's like he was really excited to try this. Yeah. 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 And he finally has this chance. And what I like about that, if I, uh, I'm just going to go off on that a little bit there, yeah. but um, this is playful Rockford, right? Like this mm-hmm. is rock. Why Rockford enjoys doing what he's doing uh, is because he gets to think out of the box this way. He gets to try and solve these kinds of problems. And uh, that's fun to see. Like you don't, you don't see that a lot. Like if you, if, if you present a character and you say, this character is an astronaut mm-hmm. uh, and then you're like, so he knows all these astronaut things that that's usually the end of it. You don't get to see what it is about being an astronaut that's interesting to this mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. And this is like a peek into that with with Rockford, right? Like we know he he does he's good at running cons, and he's trying to do the legitimate version of that. So that's why he's a private eye, or that's one way to look at it. Uh, but we we get this sort of peek into his profession as his hobby, and yeah. there's something about 
my position in my world <laughs> that, <laughs> that makes that appeal to me. Mm-hmm. And also, I love how upset Rocky gets with him. It's so good. Yeah. So Jim explains uh, just that. Or so the theory here is that so safes are insulated on the outside, but not the inside. So the action of the the, the tumbler is loud enough, apparently, to be picked up by this re- recorder. Yeah. And that there's a loud click at zero, and then you just count count yeah. them from there. And that since it's going to be either left, right, left, or right, left, right, you just try whichever one works. That's all there is to it. I I am not a safe cracker. Um, I don't know if that's true. It's <laughs> like true can, enough. <laughs> yeah, but it's true enough for for me. And yeah. In this episode of the Rockford Files, um, but Rocky then you know he's like, oh, that's very interesting. Now, who are you planning to rob? Yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Because uh, Rocky realizes that there's only one reason why he would need yeah. to conceal a microphone and count the clicks to figure out the safe combination. Early Rocky. Because uh, I think later Rocky just doesn't like Jim in this job because it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. But early Rocky doesn't like Jim in this job because he doesn't want Jim to go to jail. He's... Not 100% confident in Jim's scruples. Well, and he also doesn't want Jim to do illegal things. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think just as a general moral position. Yeah, and uh, I love that. That's, uh, (laughs) oh, it's so good. Well, we know who he is going to rob. Yes. So uh, we are back at Valerie's apartment. Uh, She is apparently making a souffle. She just needs a couple more minutes. But don't worry, she's an amazing cook. Yes. Um, so while she's in the kitchen working on this souffle, uh, Jim checks it out. And sure enough, his uh, com- combination is correct. He opens the safe. He pulls out a box, opens it, and we see this humongous pearl necklace. So sure enough, it's in there. Then he boxes it back up and puts it back. I was so tense during this scene. <laughs> Yeah, just waiting for her to walk back out with the yeah. souffle. I was like, God damn it. Why are you doing this right now? I mean, I understand. I understand he wanted to try it and we were just given the opportunity to do it. But still, oh, man. I had this like little headcanon moment because like maybe like wait till she's in the bathroom or taking a shower or something. Yeah. right? But I had this moment in my head where I'm like, Jim is probably bursting at the seams with excitement to see if yes. this worked. <laughs> yeah. Right? He's looking for the excuse. Yeah. Um, he puts this necklace back and then we go to the LAPD with our good friend Dennis Becker, who's oh, just yeah. getting his stuff together. Oh, my God. Ready to go home. The phone rings. He answers it. It's Jim who says, hey, it's your friend, Jim Rockford. And Dennis just says, no. Yeah. Jim says, I haven't asked you anything yet. And Dennis says, you will. So good. All we need to know about their dynamic for the purposes of this episode, which yeah. is Jim is always asking him to do things, and Dennis just wants to go home. <laughs> yep. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a great tiny little bit of uh, Dennis. There isn't a whole lot of Dennis in this episode, but what there is is classic. But what Jim wants to know is how long the police will hold on to a piece of jewelry if it has been stolen before it can be returned to the insurance company and blah, blah, blah. And Dennis says, depends, but probably just a couple of weeks. And Jim says, a couple of weeks. He's like, well, as long as they have uh, someone assay it. Yeah. Uh, so they know the value of it. They don't need the actual object for like trial evidence or anything. Um, and Jim's like, oh, well, in that case. <laughs> yes. He says something like, if Dennis wants a hot tip on stolen jewelry or something. Yeah. Don't go home just yet. 
So I guess what Jim's doing here is is making sure that if they just, you know, call the police and say, hey, this woman has a stolen necklace. Right. That he won't have to wait too long to get the recovery fee payout from the insurance company. Right? Yeah, I was I was wondering about that. Like, so... I mean, this is important for the next scene, but... It depends on how it's important to the next scene, right? Yeah, I, I am unaware of what Jim is aware of at this point. Right, yeah, like, that's a good point. So my... Re- okay, so in the next scene, it's Jim goes to uh, Birch, the insurance guy, tells him that he's confirmed that the pearls are there. They can just call the police right now. And, you know, take care of it. And Birch says that, oh, no, we don't want to call the police because they're going to hold this for material evidence. And we're going to have to wait for nine months or a year for it to go through the courts before, you know, before we get the recovery fee. And so the last scene was to set up this so that we know that Birch is lying, doesn't know what he's talking about or is lying. And so Jim realizes that as well and grabs him by the tie and is like, all right, why are you lying to me? If you know, if you are who you say you are, you should know, you know, they don't need to hold it for, for evidence. Um, and this scene ends with Moss coming in behind him and hitting him in the back of the head. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, all of them piecing out together. You know, and so now we see that they were in on it, right? Birch and Moss and Harry are all working together. Happy, I need a quick break. I'm going to grab a taco. You tell our wonderful listeners all the places that they can find you and your work on the Information Superhighway. I'll be right back. One way to find me is to go to twitter.com and search for at Epidiah, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. I'm usually responsive there. Otherwise, you can go to worldswithoutmaster.com where you can find my sword and sorcery fiction and role-playing games. And if you like role-playing games, maybe you want to check out digathousandholes.com where uh, I publish all my other role-playing games. Oh no, I dropped my calculator. Nathan, while I go pick up a spare, why don't you tell the good folks uh, where they can find you on the internet? In addition to this podcast, I also design and publish role-playing games, including the worldwide wrestling, pro-wrestling role-playing game, among many others. You can find links to all of my games and other projects at ndpdesign.com. And of course, you can find me on twitter.com at ndpaoletta. Looks like you're back. You you ready to continue the arithmetic analysis for this episode there, Epi? I'm back. I have my DM42 with me, and I'm ready to get in, dig down into Rockford's books again. Mm. All right. Well, I'm done with this delicious avocado taco. Well, let's get back to the show then. Yeah, my, my note at this point is just, yep, it's a con. Yep. This is the point where either eagle-eyed, uh, observant Epi <laughs> is right, mm-hmm. or... Poor memory, <laughs> but uh, porous memory, Epi, uh, remembered just enough to be right. Right. And this is driven home with a downbeat in our next scene where Jim goes back to the insurance company office and opens the door. Yeah. And sure enough, everything's stripped out of there and it's getting repainted. And that was yeah. all a front. So I guess my question for you here. What company rents office space to cons in L.A.? Because like that's the... <laughs> that too. So I guess... what so. To reply to what you were saying earlier, yeah, I think Jim is legitimately checking. Like, Jim is calling Dennis because he knows that he can get this information from Dennis because it's pretty straightforward and, and low stakes. It is a little weird because you think Jim would already know this, but yeah, whatever. For the sake of making this reveal happen, right. 
we get this th- we get that piece of information that they don't have to hold it for so long um maybe he's a little suspicious and he's just waiting for something to confirm and so when birch is like no no don't go to the police that confirms for him something yeah but other than that there's not really anything that telegraphs that jim has any suspicion about the situation to me i i think you're right i think that uh especially his reaction to birch like grabbing him mm. is a little bit more uh on the emotional side like i think if jim knew and he was just confirming his suspicions mm. uh he would be cooler in this scene yeah he would he would uh I mean, we've seen him do that we've seen him confirm suspicions and then either act like this person had just disappointed him rather than uh you know grabbing him and telling him that they lied mm-hmm. or uh would find a way to uh work the angle uh back into his favor yes we go from jim's uh angry response to seeing that he got conned um to rocky fixing his chain lock on the inside of his door <laughs> He's answering the, the phone because Jim's calling. Yeah. Uh, the cops have been to this place three times already. Uh, they took the tape machine that he had. And, of course, they're saying that he is the one who stole this pearl necklace. Yes. You stole that woman Valerie's necklace or something. Right. And Jim says that's not her real name. And Rocky says, what are you talking about? Her name's been all over the news. <laughs> and says that he should call that, that nice lawyer of his. <laughs> And I was like, ooh, Beth. But no, yeah, she does not, in yeah. fact, make an appearance. Um, so is that line supposed to communicate to us that she, that this whole, so the whole thing with this woman, Maria, that was part of the con. Yeah. And I that the, so. the mark this whole time has been Valerie and this necklace. And Jim is the the patsy that they, that they're framing. Yeah. Especially because it's coming from Rocky, <laughs> I guess. is Right. Rocky is the uh, omniscient narrator yeah yeah. (laughs) so jim who's of course calling from a phone booth this whole time he calls becker uh says that it's a nice tight frame and that uh moss and harry pulled this job and becker says well then why are your fingerprints all over the necklace case and theirs aren't and he says because they wore gloves and i didn't i'm not saying (laughs) i didn't handle the case but i didn't steal the necklace the end of the conversation is just this great shot on jim's face as clearly Dennis is like chewing him out on the other end. And he just yeah. like makes this amazing facial expression and slowly hangs up the crazy. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, right. He, cause he started that whole thing saying, don't bother tracing it. I'm timing the call. Yeah. We go to some kind of parking garage where Valerie is getting into her car. And then Jim creepily pops up in the back seat where he's been <laughs> waiting for her. Yeah. I mean, Jim's not putting off good vibes in this episode. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. He says that he didn't steal the pearls. You know, and she's angry, obviously, that he lied to her and, you know, pretended to be someone he's not and all this stuff. But he says that if she trusts him, he can get the pearls back and keep himself out of jail. So I like here that he's not... He's casting it as something that he needs to help himself, but he can also help her. Yeah. That makes it a little more, not realistic, but a little more uh, uh, empathetic than him being like, no, 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 I can solve this uh, all for you. But all he needs is for her to lend him $1,000. And if she can do that, he can get her pearls back. And she has this wonderful line. uh, I'm probably paraphrasing here. But it's either you have more gall than anyone I've ever come up against or you're innocent. I'm like, it's it's both. <laughs> yeah, it's both. both. Um, 
how much of the of her being like, okay, fine, I'll go with what you're saying is is the thirst. Yeah, I all all of it. Well, okay, <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot to to deal with there because he he has been lying to her and her jewels have disappeared. Right. <laughs> and uh, the police say he's responsible for well, it. And part of the frame is also that not only do they have that evidence of him recording the, the safe and stuff, which yeah. does not look good, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's be yeah. clear, but they also have his like little notebook where he took all his notes about her and wrote down the combination. Yeah. And he says that that was planted. Um, yeah. So I don't know, maybe they grabbed it off him when he was unconscious, maybe. Um, it doesn't really matter, but... Yeah, so everything should say danger. Yeah. <laughs> you know, stay away, Valerie. But uh, she doesn't. So obviously there's something there. There's some charm. And it's not that he's managed to convince anyone that he's innocent. <laughs> like, that's not what's happening. But it's. I think it's the next scene. Is it the next scene? I think it's the next scene that really... <laughs> Cements the, yeah, yeah. the thirst as real. Yeah, so the next scene, of course, once you want someone, this, you know, uh, uh, higher class lady who already isn't happy with you to trust you yeah. with her money and recovering her goods, of course, take her to a porn theater. Yes. <laughs> I do not remember. And I don't know if when I first saw it, I just wasn't, because it's not, they're not saying, hey, we're in a porn. Like, uh, if this were filmed today, the sounds coming from the movie would be grunts and moans mm -hmm. and all of like the signifiers that they're watching porn. But the signifiers that they're using here that they're watching porn are the bad dialogue between the grunts and groans. You know, like it's it's the I don't even remember what it is. It's about a doctor. Right. Yeah. This I mean, this is all played for humor, right? Like we, right. we get the establishing thought that it is a like I think it has two X's. It's like a double X theater. Yeah. Whatever yeah. that means. And uh, they go in because, of course, this is where Jim has to meet with uh, his ex-con buddy, Angel Martin. And it's, you know, away from prying eyes. Mm -hmm. That's That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, fun fact. I didn't realize this. This is Angel's first regular episode appearance. He was in the pilot. But between the pilot and now... Angel has not been in the show. This is his first regular spot. There's some bits about how they interact that feel like establishment, right? Like like they're trying to establish that they were both right, yeah. joined together. Like there's things that aren't done with Rocky or Dennis mm -hmm. in this episode to say we're friends and here's our relationship. And also the relationship isn't quite right. Yeah. It's almost there, but not quite right. Uh, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So that and also uh, fun trivia fact, uh, the guy who plays Moss, Eddie Fontaine, was considered for the angel role at really? one point. Mm -hmm. That's a very different angel. All right. So there's two things here. One is that Jim wants Angel. First, he wants to get information from Angel and then he wants to recruit Angel into a plot. Um so he wants to, he's like, I know these guys have this expensive necklace. They're going to try and fence it. There's only one guy who would deal with this kind of thing. Yeah. Do you know if they have a meeting with him? And um, Angel pays out one tiny piece of information with each bill as a bribe, right? Yeah. Which oh, is classic. So I think he says something like, it's going to cost you eight Irish in water. Eight Irish in waters or something. Yeah. I don't know what that means. I mean, other than maybe Irish whiskey with water. Right. Those cost a certain amount or something. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. If anyone knows what that means, let us know. It's a good phrase, but yeah. it also looked like he was counting fairly high denomination bills into Angel's hand. I don't know if yeah. you... <laughs> I didn't catch what it was, but uh, yeah. But Angel does know that there's a meeting and where it is. Uh, so he gets his three or four bills of bribe. And then Jim springs the, uh, and I need you to help me, bit. He wants Angel to impersonate the fence... So, and Jim will be hiding there in the other room, and they can get the necklace from the two guys and go from there. Sounds like a solid plan. This is where he offers to split the reward money, and Angel says, yeah, we'll, we'll split the prison sentence. Yes. There's a joke at the end where Jim's like, okay, I just needed to make sure whatever, something, something with Val. And he turns, and she's staring at the movie in rapt attention. <laughs> Such rapt attention that I, in my notes, I thought the joke was that somebody had replaced her with a mannequin. Like she, <laughs> she just doesn't move at all. Uh, but this is this is it. This is the the moment where uh, it's it's all comes clear what her motivation throughout this entire episode has been. There's a one two. That's the first part, and then the second part is they they are leaving the the movie, and she's staring off into space. Lady, why don't you say something? Why do they allow those movies to be shown? But she's like smiling. Yes, it's not. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's good stuff. It's good. It's good. It's good body language with to, to make this kind of a humorous moment, and I think is making this uh, text of her um, interest in the in in such things and why she is so interact with Rockford. Perhaps there's one final beat with all of this that we'll get to at at the very end Mm, of the episode, but they like, it doesn't stop. Yeah. Jim, uh, calls the, the fence Manny impersonating Moss to change the meeting. Yes. And then once that happens, uh, he's like, all right, angel, let's, you know, let's do the thing. And we have a joke here where angel says, I'm not doing it. And then we cut to angel with a loop in his eye, looking at a pearl. Classic joke in the cut for Rockford files. What follows now is such delicious angel. Mm-hmm. If I had to pick like a f- top three favorite angel episodes, mm-hmm. he's not in this one for a lot, mm-hmm. but th- what he does in this would make it a good contender for, for that. Like it just, this is his, uh, his mode. Cause there's a couple angel modes, right? Like one is yeah. where he's kind of like the snivelly coward angel. There's the, uh, trying to talk Jim into doing something, Angel. And then there's the like, oh, this guy is actually really good at certain things. And here's one of those things, like the Sting kind version of of Angel, where he's inhabiting these roles. Yeah, so here, you know, he's he's pulling the wool over Moss and and, uh, Harry's eyes um, about who he is. But they only brought one pearl. They didn't bring the whole necklace. Yeah. So he makes an excuse to go to the bathroom where Jim is... Plan's not going to work. They only brought one. So Jim says to tell them that it's paste. Angel goes back out there. This is also setting up another joke. But so first he does this thing where he's like, this is good quality work, high craftsmanship. You might be able to get $20, $25 or something yeah. like that. And they're like, what? And he runs this whole line about, you know, you can tell from the like the the blue aura and how it's too spherical and nothing from nature is that round and all this stuff. It's all good. It's so good. And it's great because you see Angel, 
he, he was like, this isn't going to work. Tell him it's paste. What do you mean? Tell him it's paste. Just do it. And then him just doing it isn't him just being like, it's paste. It's him doing this entire convincing uh, spiel. The, the bit about the blue aura, like, it's clearly something you can't see. He's <laughs> telling them it's there. And because he's the authority, right, they're they both nodding. start seeing it. And they're, mm-hmm. like, they're, they're like, yeah, no, okay. I see what you're talking about. Oh, it's so good. It's really good. Uh, so not only does he fool them about telling them that it's paste, they also pay him $200 for yes. his time. They they leave. Jim comes out and it's like, all right, what are we doing now? And Jim says, well, they're going to think that I switched the pearls. So now they're going to come after me. And Angel says, no, I'm through. I'm out of it. I don't want them coming after me, too. Yeah. So then in our next scene is Angel going to Moss's apartment and spilling the beans that he's not Manny. His name's Angel. Everyone just calls me Angel. Yeah, he's like, names don't matter. He knows that they are bound to find out that he was lying to them. And he wants to make it real clear that he was forced to do that by Jim Rockford. And he doesn't want to be caught in, like, the crossfire if they go after Jim, right? And he's like, I lied to you. It wasn't paste. It was real. But if you want to be sure, go talk to Manny, the actual actual, uh, offense. Um, I feel like when I first watched this episode, I thought that this was a little too craven even for angel right and thus it must be part of a scheme right because like why would angel go out of his way like i can see him being like you know getting caught on the street and then like spilling all the beans right because that's what he does but him going there there's a uh a a type of misdirect that's done often in television shows that i'm I, okay, so I think this is one of those cases where it's done right. Mm-hmm. So we as audience members are lacking a little bit of information. And the little bit of information we're lacking is the part where Jim tells Angel to do this. Right. Uh, and because we don't have that information, what Angel does looks like he's legitimately selling Jim out and that Jim's going to be in trouble because of, of what's happening. Mm-hmm. So we don't know that this is part of Jim's plan. And it looks like, oh no, Jim's lost an ally. Jim's lost his friend Angel. He mm-hmm. sold him out. And that kind of tension, a lot of movies and TV shows will create that kind of tension in ways that aren't natural. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of like a good example without actually calling out examples. But like <laughs> you have the character act that way uh, in front of the people they're trying to fool is fine, but they'll often also have the actor act that way or the character act that way in front of the audience in moments where it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. to sort of drive it home when it doesn't make sense that they would. I think this is one of those cases where it's done right. But I also think I agree with you. Uh, We have seen Craven angel, right? We've seen angels sell them out to the FBI. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I keep going back to uh, the urban horticulturist. Right. <laughs> and, uh, chicken Little is a little chicken. But, um, well, yeah, so we've we've seen all of the various manifestations yeah. of Angel. Um, <laughs> I think that's one thing that we're bringing to the episode that, like, right. probably would not have crossed anyone's mind as they're writing it. Because it's Angel's, again, his first appearance in the regular show. Yeah. You wouldn't realistically expect anyone watching the show to have any expectation of Angel other than what we see on the screen in this episode, Mm -hmm. right? And so given that, like, okay, he could be this kind of guy. 
Like, I don't think it's supposed to be a super subtle, like, oh, you're going to see what happens next. I think it is supposed to create the tension of us going like, oh, no, Jim sold out. What's he going to do now? And I, I guess I just like it because it, it, they didn't go that extra length of like really playing it up for the audience. It's it, all Angel has to do here is play up to these two crooks mm-hmm. and we're good. Uh, so we don't have that ex- him going that extra that extra mile to convince the audience that he sold Jim out. There's not like a scene where he watches Jim go away and then he starts hyperventilating and going like, oh my god, they're going to yeah. kill me when they find out and then go to the door or something. Well, they they uh, they believe him. Um, they we cut to them uh, actually getting them appraised by Manny, the real fence. Manny praises the pearl and says, this is, this is the recall to the earlier joke. Yeah. Really good craftsmanship, high quality, the best flash I've ever seen or something like that. Right. <laughs> like what? It's fake. They try to figure out an explanation. Rich people make duplicates of their jewelry all the time. She must have had the fake one. Now she's scamming the insurance company. Right. She had the fake one in the safe. So she's going to get the payoff and have the real necklace, but they can still get Jim to take the rat. Uh, he can still take the fall for this. And they ask how, you know, how do you know? And Ma says, I know human nature. <laughs> so we go back to Valerie's. We see Moss and Harry, who is in a very non-sneaky uh, tan trench coat, open the safe, find the case. Sure enough, there's pearls in it. And they switch it out for their necklace that they think is fake. And they leave. And then there's a beat. And then Jim comes in from the uh, from the porch. And... It's not a gotcha moment, but this is kind of played to be like, uh, what's Jim doing? Yeah. As he goes over and like turns on the light and then goes over to the to the safe. And then he turns around and says something like, it's okay if I open this, right? Or something. And we see that Valerie is yeah. there as well. And I'm like, oh, okay. This was the plan all along. Because then Manny yeah. comes in and then Angel comes in. And they were all hiding to make sure <laughs> that this all went down. Um and indeed, Manny and Angel were part of this setup con inside the con mm-hmm. to convince them that their real pearls were fake. And then we go to them with an- another fence, a pair of guys who look very tough. And no joke here. There's like, what are you trying to pass off on us? They have a line about like, it's worth 250 grand, but we'll take whatever. Yeah, that's the insurance on it. But, you know, whatever. Whatever. Whatever is fair. And they're like, they're paced. <laughs> Moss and Moss and Harry, they realize that they got suckered. Back at uh, Valerie's apartment, Manny inspects the real pearls. Says it was one of the hardest things he ever had to do, saying that they were fake. These are the finest pearls I've seen in five years. Uh, Jim tells Angel, "You'd make a great informer." And Angel goes, "It's a gift." Yeah, it was. A, yeah, Angel has this great line where he's like, "I was selling you out, and they were buying." Yeah, <laughs> so proud. Valerie calls Becker on the phone. Oh. You know what? This is all a misunderstanding. You know, sometimes I misplace my jewelry. She opened her sock drawer or something, and there they yeah. were. They were never stolen. Call off the APB for that poor that poor Jim Rockford. The whole time she's on the phone with Dennis, those two are flirting, and it is like you could cut it with a goddamn blowtorch. Like, it's just... <laughs> they're, they're doing it with their eyes over yeah. the phone that she's holding. While she's talking to Dennis... Yeah. He kisses her on the forehead. In my notes, I say, she makes a sexy face. Yeah, no, <laughs> like it's, it's, it is like, what? 
And then uh, she hangs up and we freeze frame on them kissing. Jim triumphant. End of episode. So Jim triumphant. Uh, but I mean, maybe. But... So here's the thing about the money. Uh, presumably he did get paid the $700. So he got the $500 cashier's check up front. That yeah. seemed like that was legit. You think then he got paid another 200 Yeah, because there was this point where, like, they said, we've already paid you $700 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and then there was, like, another 500 on the way, but it seems likely that they don't pay him for that. But they do give him money to, like, when he's taking her out and stuff. Yes. So there's the expenses part that he mm. definitely earns. Uh, and presumably the, these weren't cheap restaurants mm. by any stretch. Like he was pretending to be a wealthy banker. Right. So he was spending money like a wealthy banker. So there's that. And also Angel pulls <laughs> in whatever money Jim was paying him per syllable uh, at the, the porn theater. Right. So that's great. And then he gets, well, okay. So it's hard to tell if he gets the $200 that they paid him to do the, uh, appraisal or if in his, it, it doesn't happen on screen. I don't think that he pays them that $200 back, mm. but yeah, I don't know. You can kind of assume he would have to, or these Maybe. like given how hot headed they were, but I'm going to say so far, both Angel and Jim have made actually a decent amount of money. Mm. Nothing compared to the thirty grand <laughs> plus that was on the line or out there uh, at some point during this whole like. Well, it was thirty grand if the insurance scheme worked out, and it was. Uh, and then if it was a third of the like eight. 80 yeah, 80 something. grand or something like that if it was... Yeah, neither of which materialized. But more importantly, I think it's this relationship. <laughs> Clearly. Built on lies. All in all, other than getting roughed up a little bit, there's no damage to the Firebird. Yeah. Uh, Rocky replaces his chain on the door of his trailer. <laughs> um, Jim comes out, I would say on balance, Jim comes out ahead. Yeah. Between, as you said earlier, all the dates he got to go on on someone yeah. else's dime. In addition to his, uh, his his new best friend here, uh, here's a question. He wanted her to lend him $1,000. As far as I can tell, that $1,000 was for bribing Angel. That's actually... So do you think yeah. he had to pay her back? Oh, that is a good question. What would the, that $1,000 Well, and probably Manny. He, he probably bribed Manny. Yeah, yeah, you may be right. So he may actually be out money. He might point. be out money depending on how much those bribes were. yeah. Because if he was in money, he would have had the thousand to do it. Well, someone's out money. Um, but I think he makes up for it with uh, non-monetary rewards. Yeah. So good for you, Jim. Um, yeah. So the I think the so it's a, a a fun episode. It's kind of paced well, where I think we kind of realize what's happening just before Jim does generally. Yeah. So that's which is where you want to be. Um, you know, we're seeing him react and then take his next action. That, that's a fun inversion of Sherlock Holmes or, you know, mm. like there's a lot of detectives that are one step ahead of us mm -hmm. and, or two or three or depending on like, yeah, we're just waiting to be told what they already have figured out. Yeah. Yeah. And in this case, because we're privy to something more, 
Mm. Although actually there, there isn't a whole lot of that. I think it's just that we're the audience and we're suspicious. Yeah. I think we just have more context and, yeah. and but, Jim is written as not being as suspicious as maybe he would be in a different episode. Yeah. So there's that, there's that dramatic irony uh, that we, then we, well, I, we're doing the thing we do when you watch a Columbo episode, right? Mm-hmm. In, in a Columbo episode, we watch the murder and then we wait for Columbo uh, to catch the murderer yeah, we want to see exactly what it is that he does, that he decides is important, and yeah. how he does his hounding, right? Yeah. So, in this case, we know, we don't have all of that knowledge, but we have enough knowledge to know that Jim doesn't know what's happening yet. Right. He doesn't, he doesn't see the, the danger he's in or whatever. And then we're waiting to see how Jim deals with it once he figures that out. Yeah. I think there's the only moment where we don't have information and Jim does is the scene where Angel goes to yeah. quote, sell him out. I think this would be a really f- fun episode to see, you know, again for the first time. Right. Yeah. There's someone out, out there that you want to introduce to, to R- the Rockford files and they're a fan of con games and those kinds of tricky mysteries. This is probably a good one to, to show off because we do see Jim getting conned, but then we see him flip the con, right? That's the counter. Yeah gambit yeah. of the title right he he manages to to turn it back on on uh, who's conning him which is what we like to see from our gym all right so i have one discussion point about the the con itself okay I'd be interested to get your read on so thinking about it from the perspective of moss who's essentially who seems to be the, the mastermind yeah, yeah. The, the maestro so presumably he's set this all up while in prison right yeah and Harry is seems like the the right hand man, probably the one who's out and able to like actually do things. So they must have figured that they were going to get enough of a score to pay for all those things, right? Right. So I, that was the other thing. Like while I'm doing uh, Rockford's bookkeeping, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about they they rent the space and employ an entire crew. The lawyer, the insurance guy, the insurance guy's boss, and at least two or three incidental like secretaries and whatnot yeah. are all part of the scheme. And some woman who was in Harry's room when Jim right. went there, right? Because that's part of the that's the thing that in retrospect that had to have been part of the con was convincing yes. Rockford that the fake that that Maria, uh, this this fictitious person, was with harry that morning when he went there to try and figure out if she was there right one of the things that that does on a meta level like on the level of the audience is that it forgives rockford a lot of sins uh if she's there and rockford's thinking or if rockford's thinking she's there right and she's part of all of it then him playing the role that he plays in the beginning where he deceives her is him working against another con artist right. and yeah. not an innocent woman. Right. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah. So one of the things that that does for us is that it lets us go, Rockford's still a good guy, right? Like, yeah. he's, he's not this jerk. <laughs> it changes the moral weight a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then when he figures out that he's he's been duped, then... Uh, then he realizes that she's not yeah. part of it. And, and then he does tell her, you know, the truth and then... She legitimately, I feel like they're in that, in, you know, the scene where he's in the car, which is creepy. Um, I feel like she legitimately could have been like, no, I don't want anything to do with you. And he would have figured something else out. Right. Yeah. 
but she has the thirst, so she didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so so there's that. But that is another function of that thing that I was just talking about, which I wish I had a good name for, which mm -hmm. is this misdirect that is for the audience and not mm -hmm. for any of the characters in it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because why? <laughs> like, <laughs> like what? Which, which part? Why convince him that she's at this hotel room? Because that's what makes the argument between Moss and Harry seem legit i guess the question isn't why it's why that and not something less convoluted oh sure right like that's the that's the which why do they not just have the picture there and not have to have like a woman in the bathroom to say a line yeah well i think in that case i think that is for the audience right yes that's what i'm saying like i think there's there's a bit for the audience uh i think that part is we're supposed to also be thinking that moss's story is on the level right until uh, they come in and, and beat up Rockford and knock him out, right? Like, that's what that's the reveal of, like, oh, that's not how this... They were in league all along. Yeah. And it's, it's not even so much that he's on the level. It's that his... Uh, it's, it's, re it's really weird. Because, like, we aren't... We're supposed to be suspicious of everything Moss does. Mm -hmm. But we're not supposed to be... Yeah, we're supposed to be suspicious, but we're not supposed to be convinced that our suspicions are correct yet. Uh, and that helps. Yeah, there's the element of we know that there's something going on, yeah. but we let Rockford tell us what that thing is. And Rockford thinks it's this woman left with something that they want and they want the thing and not her. Yeah. Part of the con is to make him think that, but that also fulfills our audience suspicion that something is going on. Oh, Rockford knows what, what that something is. And then we're just a little bit ahead when we're like, oh, maybe this, you know, maybe the situation is kind of a setup. Oh, turns out it is. Yep. Yeah, it's good. It's, uh... In a way, very straightforward. Like the actual plot is just like yeah. <laughs> there's no there there's nothing extraneous. There's the one story, and we go down it. Yeah. The story itself has the different levels of of who's conning who about what, but it's not one of those where like things come together at the end. Uh, there's it's just kind of the one um, the one narrative. I felt like there wasn't a lot to talk about because it's just this happens and this happens, but the things that happen are interesting. This whole cast may have been a different Rockford Files episode where there was this insurance guy trying to get this mm -hmm. money. You know what I mean? Like, and then you'd have these competing uh, factions, like right. the cops and the criminals and the insurance guy and Rockford. And maybe that's what makes it feel very linear to me is that there aren't factions. Yeah. We've talked about that before in many, many episodes where there's, there's the competing interests around mm -hmm. whatever the MacGuffin is. Um, and in this case, there's no competing interests, um, which is fine, because I think if there were, it would become confusing. You already have the counter gambit. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that this was a fun episode to watch, and I'm glad you brought it up. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, no, I, I was super happy the moment it started. <laughs> I was like, well, I've suggested it. Let's see what happens. And uh, it, it paid off... Um, Paid off, maybe not in, in increasing Jim's bank balance, but it no. certainly paid <laughs> off in other ways. Exactly. All right. Well, do you have anything else to uh, to say about Counter Gambit? Yeah, the only real discussion points I, I, I had uh, about it were that, that question of who's being misdirected. Is it characters or the audience? And uh, this episode nuzzles right up to the edge of, hmm. of what I find my, my own personal taste in it. Like... On the other side of that, where you watch something and then you're like, oh, 
that was just entirely for our benefit. That was just to get us believing that this character was evil when they're really good or whatever. I, that tends to drop me out of the my enjoyment of it, right? Yeah. Like I, but in this one, it was just close enough uh, that I actually quite enjoyed it and had that little bit of like, is Angel selling them out? Like it, it's <laughs> written right in my notes. I'm like, is Angel selling them out? Nope. Okay, good. <laughs> All is right with the world. Well, then with that, uh, I feel like it may not be in the form of a prepaid cashier's check, but we have made our $200 for this day. <laughs> yes. As always, if you want to let us know what you think about our thoughts or uh, help support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash 200 a day and find us on Twitter at 200 pod. We appreciate all of the things that we hear from listeners. So thank you very much for listening and we will be back next time to talk about another episode of the Rockford Files.